Welcome back to the Sensational Sports Trio. Will Pesek, Corey Picard, Liam Goddard. We're coming to you from an unfamiliar place recording this episode. We are in Long Island. Liam and I are in studio and over the phone. Uh, replacing what would be the old flip-flop between me and Corey is Corey over the phone and Liam joining me in, in studio. A lot to discuss before we do that. Corey, welcome back uh, after a long hiatus. How has your summer been and what are you up to this summer? Yeah, it's been a while and this is a little different over the phone, but... No problem here. Um, I've had a good summer, some time off from school, re- just relaxing, and it's been fun. Starting, I started work, but, you know, it's not bad, and it's been a good summer. I'm excited to talk again about sports on the, on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, the, good to have you back, Corey, of course. I uh, hope you're having a good summer. Uh, certainly a lot going on in sports. Huh? So I think we can't start this podcast without talking about Will's Toronto Raptors, <laughs> who he took under his bandwagon wing, and how well they've been playing. They went, they took down the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, shockingly, and now onto the NBA Finals, onto the big bad Golden State Warriors. Will, I want to get your take on this. Uh, yeah. Do you think the Raptors have a chance in the NBA Finals? Well, like, I know you've been a fan for years. Yeah, like before I get to. That, <laughs> You know, by no means am I a Toronto Raptors fan. I mean, I am a Brooklyn Nets fan, but I wanted a team to root for once, and that's got eliminated. And after Kawhi made that clutch shot, I'm like, hey, you know, with the Raptors, I have no beef with them. I might as well just jump on their bandwagon. I bought a Kawhi Leonard shirt, uh, hoping he resides in Toronto. Uh, other than that, listen, I think the Raptors... The people are underestimating them to a point which they don't seem to be giving them a chance against the Warriors, which I understand. But you have to look at it this way. The Raptors have a lot of experience that is underlined that you don't see. Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green both won a title in San Antonio. Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol have all competed in some type of playoff. The only starter on that team that has not, won a, that has not been in the playoffs before is Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. who's by any means has been excellent in the entire playoffs. And I think the Raptors do stand a chance. I think they make it close. I'm going to say Warriors in six games. Toronto is the home team. If they want a shot in the series, it has to come game one this night. Because that one a win. I think the Raptors will. I, ultimately, I want to see the Raptors win. But you can't defy logic. And any any right sports person will say the Warriors win this series. But I'm taking the Raptors. I want to take the Raptors in this series. I'm going to take the Raptors in seven games. They're home in the series. Raptors in seven. Call me crazy. I don't want to see the Warriors win. And I think Kawhi Leonard is proving to you he is a top three talent in the NBA. I think now you're realizing the Knicks, if they don't get Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard could be just as good or even better. He's younger than Kevin Durant. He's a lot younger than LeBron. He's younger than Steph Curry. He doesn't get a lot of talk because he was at San Antonio forever. He was in Toronto this year, which you don't talk about during the NBA season. So you're finally seeing why Kawhi Leonard is considered a top three player, who I think is better than Kobe Bryant. Mm. What do you guys think? Yeah, Corey, let's get your take on this, and then I'll, I'll dive in. Well, I like, I like the point you made about Game 1 it being very important in this series. I mean, we saw it last year even in the finals where... The Cavaliers were this close to winning. They were very close to winning game one. And the J.R. And they lost the next three. Yeah, exactly. And you saw it with the Trailblazers. The Trailblazers had a chance in game one, and they lost it, and then they lost the next three games. So I'm not saying they have to win game one in order to win the series, but that's a huge part of it. And if you give 
Golden State, the confidence that they can beat you, they will take advantage of that. So Toronto has to take advantage of, you know, both teams not really knowing what to expect and go out there and win game one. As for Kawhi Leonard, yeah, I think he's better than Giannis at this point because of his clutch ability and his shooting ability. Those are the two things that set him apart from Giannis, in my opinion. I think he's a top three player. Yeah, you have LeBron, and you could argue for him to be the second spot because I still think LeBron's by far the best player in this league. Although he may be declining after this injury, we don't know what to expect. I think he we can't take the crown off of him quite yet. There's Kawhi, there's KD. Steph maybe could be argued to be up there, but Kawhi's a really good player and he's proven it. Is he better than Kobe? I wouldn't say quite yet. The infamous Max Kellerman saying he's more clutch than Kobe is really being proven more than disproved this offseason, and I think Kawhi could go down if he if he wins this title this year. Because he, he beat LeBron in the Heat when he was younger it was San Antonio stop their three If he's able to stop what is probably the best team ever assembled in the Golden State Warriors this year, his legacy could exceed Kobe by the time he's retired. Not right now, but by the time he's retired, this is a huge mark on his legacy. Do I think he will? Probably not. Do I think they'll win a game in this series? I think they're too good not to win a game in this series, but I still see the Warriors just being too much to handle. And they're a very so, good defensive team. I mean, you look at What's what they that? did. You you look at what they did to the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Giannis looked lost in in Game Six. Giannis looked lost. They shut down the Bucks. I mean, they were not aside from Brook Lopez. They were not allowing Giannis any space. I mean, he hit a lot of clutch threes, but he was dreadful from the from the free throw line, which is why they fouled him so many times. They they are a very good defensive team, and I think. The Warriors do not have Kevin Durant for Game 1, and I don't think they'll see him at all in this series. I think they're just not saying that. I think he's done for the series. They just haven't come out and said that yet. And I think that's a huge loss for the Warriors, only because if they lock down Steph and Clay, who else? I mean, Draymond Green cannot shoot threes. He's not that good of a mid-range shooter. He can really only take layups and dunks and from very little jump shots. I mean... Aside from that, a lot of the series are going to be defined on how well the Raptors can defend both Steph and Klay Thompson. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I think that, uh, look, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I think it's going to be the Warriors in five games. I mean, I'll give the Raptors a win, and I think that they do get a win on a lot of the court. A lot of people are not giving them a chance. And listen. And I, I, I mentioned it before, Will, you know, before we started the podcast. you got to ask yourself. Are the are this year's Raptors better than any of those teams that the Warriors? They're better know, than last year's Cavaliers. Better than last year's Cavaliers, but besides that, any yeah. of the teams that matched up with the Warriors are they better? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, look, you bring up an interesting aspect about the defense, and I think that really go is really going to be left unsaid early in this series because. I just lost my train of thought there. But I, I think that the Warriors are going to win the series. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. And I think that... Uh, and the bench production that the, the Raptors, Raptors got yeah. was a lot better than the Bucks' bench production. I mean, you look at a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who essentially did not even have a spot in the starting five for the Toronto Raptors, pretty much is outplaying Long Island's own Danny Greedy with the St. Mary's High School. Uh, with the, that's where Leah went. But Danny Green... 
doesn't even have a start on the starting five lineup anymore because of how well Fred Van Vliet played and how badly Danny Green is taking his, his three-pointers. So a lot of it's going to be bench production. Do they have a better bench than Golden State? That I don't think so. They have Norman Powell. They have Serge Ibaka. They have Fred Van Vliet. They have Jody Meeks. But you got to look at who the Warriors have. They have Looney. They have uh, uh, Sean Livingston. They have a very good bench for Golden State. But the bench production and the defense will decide whether or not the Raptors stand a chance in this series. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah, and, yeah. and there, there's a big difference between locking down a Milwaukee team that's very one-dimensional and runs through Giannis, who doesn't really have a jump shot. So he's, to an extent, one-dimensional and locking down a very dynamic Warriors team. Even though it's Steph and Clay are really the main scorers right now, that it's a lot harder, and it does help that the Toronto Raptors have probably the best defender in the league on their side, but I just think Toronto's too much right now. But I'd love to see, and I think a lot of the world would love to see Toronto win this series, so I'm still rooting for them. Right, and you know, you mentioned KD's status before, Will, and I think... That is a really big factor here because there, you know, you watch the you watch the series, you know, uh, against Portland, and you could argue that the Warriors Who played better <laughs> basketball yeah. without Kevin Durant with the defense that the Raptors have. Do you think that that lies the same in, in the series? In the I finals? think I think I think the Ra- I'll put it this way: I think the Warriors will feel the loss of Durant more mm-hmm. against the Raptors than they will the Trailblazers because. They're just a yeah. defending team, and they have the best defender in the NBA right now in Kawhi Leonard on, on their side. And also the big men like Pascal Siakam, Marcus Allister, Jabaka. They'll feel the loss more against the Raptors than they would against uh, the Trailblazers. But at the end of the day, they're still a very good team without them. Mm-hmm. So I think... You could argue they're more cohesive. Yes. You know? But I think the Raptors, this is they want a shot. Games one and two were in Toronto. That's their chance. That's their chance right there. Yeah, game one, more importantly, is their chance. They have to set the tone. You know, if you want any chance, you need to step on the Warriors' throat as long as you can until they can't get up. You know, because once you give them a second to breathe, they're done. Yeah. You know, so that's how I th- that's how I think it goes. And I think with Clay and Steph Curry, they're going to run into a lot of trouble, the Raptors. Because, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how well you defend them, they are just legit. Through, you know, scores from anywhere on the court. So it's going to be a tough matchup. But the defense uh, is a good sign for the Raptors and home court advantage as well. We'll go on to the, MB- we'll go on to the NBA draft lottery really quickly. And Corey, uh, you're, I'm sure, no longer beloved Kyrie Irving has actually gone out of Boston. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, it's not looking too good, but I think we'll be able to survive without him. I, I don't know. So. I, I don't know what to expect coming from him all season. I don't know if he's... I, nobody knows where his mind's at. The NBA draft lottery, I wanted to get at. Liam, you're a Knicks fan. I don't think this is the end of the world for the New York Knicks, and I'm going to say that only because I mentioned it in my uh, reaction podcast I did in the day after the draft lottery, and I kind of said, now they have a package for Anthony Davis. And I think a big part of this draft lottery is a success for the, for the Knicks. They finished ahead of the Lakers. And I think that's huge in response to Anthony Davis because the Lakers... Let's be honest, they have a better team than the Knicks. They had better packages to offer Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, JaVale McGee, this and that. That Now the Knicks have a package. The third overall pick, which they would send to uh, New Orleans. So now New Orleans would have the first and third to get Zion. So get Zion and Barrett, and two Barrett, teammates. The two teammates who essentially were phenomenal from Duke. 
And you can also send, uh, whether it's Alonzo Trier, Mitchell Robinson, Dennis Smith Jr., which I think they'll take in a heartbeat. That's a good deal. And if you're the Knicks, now you have a talking point for a guy like a Kevin Durant, for a guy like a Kawhi Leonard, for a guy like Kyrie Irving, because let's be honest, if you're a Kawhi Leonard, a Kyrie Irving, a Kevin Durant, by saying we're going to play with R.J. Barrett, saying we're going to, or you have a chance to play with Anthony Davis, I think you take Anthony Davis in a heartbeat, who you want to play with. And I think that's what they're trying to do. Now they have a package, and I think they're going to be ending up trading that through the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans take that, because now you have Zion and R.J. Barrett on your side. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm going to take the kind of off-road approach here. And I think that the Knicks are better with the number three pick and not with Anthony Davis. And I'll tell you why. You know, the Knicks are a good young team right now that with a superstar or two, I think can definitely compete. R.J. Barrett is an excellent two-way player. And I think that he's going to complement Dennis Smith Jr. in that front court very, very well. You know, you have Alonzo Trier. You have depth on the wings. You have Mitchell Robinson who was excellent in his first year in the NBA, went almost, you know, just not really looked at in the draft, and the Knicks really picked him up at a good spot, I believe, in the second round. And I think if you really move around R.J. Barrett, Dennis Smith Jr., and you're able to sign Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker, any two of those three, and you put that team together, I think that's a better team than Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, and Kyrie Irving. Now, if they were to trade for Anthony Davis, he is a free agent in two years with an opt-out after this coming season. If they get Anthony Davis, you would have to suspect they're going to go after a Kevin Durant. And if they could get that, there's your... And I think Nick fans would accept getting Anthony Davis for a year if they win a title. Yeah. I, I think they would accept that. Now, where does that... Long-term, keeping R.J. Barrett's the right move. Yes. Short-term, trading is the right move. I think and I, and I don't know what direction the Knicks are trying to go in right now. I think they're trying to win right now, but also help for the future. And if they're going to win right now, they're going to want to trade a lot of their future for a lot like Anthony Davis. Yeah. You know? They're so, going to have nothing. Because yeah. you got to ask yourself, Mitchell Robinson is definitely a part of that deal. Kevin Knox is a part of that deal. Dennis Smith Jr. is a part of that deal. Because look at what the Lakers could offer. Like, they could offer the world to the Pelicans. And you make a good point. The difference between number four and number three in the draft is, is, is seismic. It's very big. Yeah. But, and I think you wanted to finish in a top three because, believe it or not, after R.J. Barrett, yeah. Cam Reddish is a huge drop-off from the guys next. So I think finishing in the top four was a big win for the Knicks. And what happens if the Knicks, you know, trade for Anthony Davis and then they strike out on those big-name free agents? Sure, there are a lot to go around, and you got to ask yourself if they strike out on Kevin Durant. There are other options. Kawhi for, Leonard, who may the, be even better than Kevin for Durant. For the Knicks, but Kawhi Leonard may be going to the Lakers. You never know. Or they might re-sign with the Raptors. So there's definitely a lot of moving parts here. But if I'm the Knicks, and I agree with you, I don't think that they feel this way. But if I'm the Knicks, you keep that number three pick. You do what you can in free agency, but don't set yourself up for failure. Don't mortgage your future for Anthony Davis with the ex- expectation that you're going to go out there and get two superstars and compete for an NBA title. Because once you do that, and 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 and, and you know, once once you assume like that, that's when the Knicks are going to get stabbed in the back, and that's when they're going to be Anthony Davis and nobody else on that court. Because if you trade for him and you don't get any of those big name free agents, the Knicks are more obscurity than they've ever been. Corey, the day after the draft lottery was radio hell. Every radio show in New York was flipping out that the Knicks didn't win that draft lottery. What's your stance on that? Um, They should be happy they didn't get the picks that the Suns and the Bulls and the Hawks <laughs> got because 6-7-8 is not nearly as good as the number three pick in the draft. Yeah, they didn't win the lottery, but if, if you were informed 
an informed NBA fan, you would have known that they didn't have a great chance to win the exactly. lottery. Exactly. That's and, exactly what I was trying to tell people. I'm like, there were three teams that had the same odds. And they ended up the best of those three teams. And the top three, you mentioned it, there is a drop-off from R.J. Barrett to whoever the next best player is. And the, the presumed three being Zion, John Murat, and R.J. Barrett. There's a huge drop-off. And it was a victory to get the number three pick, and I agree with a lot of what Liam said because, yeah, if you are if you trade everybody for you trade your entire young youth core for Anthony Davis, and then you strike out in free agency, you're in the same position the Pelicans are in right now, and the Pelicans are not winning a championship, not even making the playoffs right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I think Anthony Davis would definitely draw in a free agent. I don't know if that free agent's Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, but I wouldn't trade everything for Anthony Davis without a good feeling that you can get a top-name free agent because you don't want to be in the situation the Pelicans have right now. Yeah, and it's one of those situations that if there is one, that is worse than what the Knicks are in right now. And you see the Pelicans are finally starting to turn that around. And how are they turning that around with the number one pick and with potentially the number three or number four pick by trading Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis? And they're finally going about it the right way. They're rebuild the right way, the way the Knicks should be going around their rebuild, which is building around young players. But if the Knicks trade R.J. Barrett, I guarantee you that R.J. Barrett is going to be an excellent, excellent player in this league. And... Argue with me on this, but if the Knicks get, you know, maybe one or two big free agents with Anthony Davis, are the Pelicans better than the Knicks are? Or are the Knicks better than the Pelicans are? With Zion and RJ and, you know, the amount of talent that they can put around the court, it, I think that the Pelicans are going apart their rebuild the correct way and the Knicks aren't because if they're going for their superstar players, Corey, I agree with you, they're setting themselves up for failure. Let's move on to uh, another topic of discussion before we get to baseball, and that, of course, is the New York Jets. Of what has been a dysfunction of an offseason. General Manager Adam Gates. Huh? Yeah, I, I I don't really know where to come from this. And obviously, Corey will have a lot to say because of his old friend from Miami. And my question is, if they wanted to fire Mike McCarrick, great, we don't like him. Why was it done now? Why did they let him run the draft, which people liked? I liked it, to be honest. Why did they excited for it that people liked? I liked him. C.J. Mosley, Le'Veon Bell. The, the, the list goes on. Why, on a random Wednesday, did they decide, let's fire Mike McCagden? They said it had nothing to do with the rift between both Adam Gase and Mike McCagden. They disagreed, but why randomly, and why was it done at the time it was done? They should have done it if they didn't want to have him on this GM when they fired Todd Bowles, and that was in December. Why was it done after the draft and the free agency? I don't understand it. Um, Adam Gase needed his power, I guess. I don't know. He, he got fired. He, he had a power struggle with the guy that hired him and then took that guy's place. So that's pretty ironic, to say the least, but I don't know. The whole Le'Veon Bell issue, I mean, as a Jets fan, you definitely don't want that getting out. The fact that Adam Gase didn't like the Le'Veon Bell signing, that's, you don't want that out of the locker room. You don't even want that to be heard, heard by the players. And now it seems like Adam Gase is losing the locker room again, like he did in Miami. I, I don't know if that that might be an exaggeration, but it's, the, the Jets really made the mistakes that the Dolphins made over three years in one day when they did when they decided to have Adam Gase be their interim general manager. Corey, I don't want to interrupt, but you bring up a good point. 
Adam Gase lost the locker room for the Miami Dolphins in his last season. Already, before the first kickoff of the season, first as a head coach, he's losing the locker room of the New York Jets. Lost their best player. Le'Veon Bell. You know? Feels like he's not wanted now on this team. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Continue. Imagine, he didn't want to play for the Steelers because he wasn't getting paid enough. Now he finally gets his money for the contract he wanted. And the team doesn't want it. Ridiculous. Like, it doesn't make sense. And I'm not a big fan of Adam Gase. But it, I, the fact that he, they chose him over McGagnon makes no sense. This guy ran their draft. And like you said, it was a good draft, successful free agency too. And then they choose this guy who hasn't cooked the game for the New York Jets. And they favor him over their general manager. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I think they're making the mistakes that the Dolphins made. And I don't know. I think Adam, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think Adam Gase has that personality where he's just going to persuade the Jets' owners to do whatever he wants. Oh, I think wants, he believes you know? he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and and, and that's not he, the case. And that shows how he's better than he is, really. Let's move on to the MLB. I know we have a, a busy schedule, so we're, we're trying to get through this podcast as quick as we can. And Corey, your Boston Red Sox have short turned it around. That is for sure. We said they wanted to be at least over 500 before Memorial Day. They have done that. But yeah. now, here lies this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a four-game set with the first place New York Yankees. Who would have thought that? All the injuries they've had, this and that. The first place New York Yankees four-game swing, pivotal. Pivotal tears for the Boston Red Sox. And it's almost kind of reminiscent. The Yankees are kind of doing what the Red Sox did last year. They buried the Yankees last year. The Yankees are now burying the Red Sox. Listen, it's far from over. When you're seven and a half out of first place, that's a far, far withstanding. No, it it certainly is. And the Red Sox, I mean, it's on the up and up. And if you're uh, chasing a team like the Red Sox are with the Yankees... You cannot afford to look at what the Yankees are doing. You can only focus on yourself. And at the end of the day, the Red Sox are playing better, consist- more consistent baseball than they did earlier in their year. Right now, it is a long season. It's a 162-game year. I don't care what the Yankees are doing if I'm the Red Sox. The only thing I care about is playing good, functional, uh, good baseball. And that's what, the, that's what the Red Sox are doing. It doesn't matter what the Yankees are doing. It shouldn't concern them until they're fighting for a playoff spot and they need to worry about what teams ahead of them are doing. This is going to sound like probably a dumb take, but I'm, I firmly believe this. I think by the time the playoffs come, they'll be the best team that has the best chance to win the World Series. They're going to be so well-rested. Giancarlo Stanton has had two full months off. Aaron Judge has had two full months off. Didi Gregorius makes a season debut next week. Gary Sanchez had a month off. Severino is going to have three months off, who's going to be dominant the entire second half of the season. Dylan Batanzas, who was arguably their best reliever last year, has had the entire season off. Is it safe to believe that come the playoffs, they'll be very well rested? Yeah, and I, I, it is safe to say that, and I think that that could be a reason why the Yankees 
were in such a tough position last year, and I think the same thing the Red Sox are falling into. They were chasing the Red Sox the entire year, and once they got to the postseason, they were out of gas. And you know, I think I agree with you. I think that they're getting all their big players back, and, and it's huge for the Yankees right now. And look, there was a report that came out, I believe, this morning or last night that the Yankees are one of the teams looking at Dallas Keuchel. Imagine if they add Keuchel to that rotation with that lineup, with that well-rested lineup. I agree with you. That is huge. And I think they're going after Dallas Keuchel at the right time. There was something that if the Yankees went after Dallas Keuchel right now, they would have to give a draft compensation to Houston. If they wait until June 1st, they, they sign him as a free agent and no compensation goes over there. Mm-hmm. So I think June 1st, Dallas Keuchel is a brand new New York Yankee. And I think that's going to bolster their rotation because there's reports that they did scout him. They did watch one of his simulated games. And they have CeCe Sabathia, who's injury-prone. Tanaka, who's injury-prone. Paxton, who's injury-prone. He's making his uh, coming back next tomorrow. Week. Uh, tomorrow, yeah. Uh, Severino, who hasn't played a game all season. Instead of using openers, this is huge, huge, huge for the Yankees. And Corey, this is the pivotal series with the Red Sox coming up. If the Yankees take three out of four, isn't it turning to the Red Sox with a chance at the division? It's definitely going to hurt, and you guys brought up a lot of concerning points about how rested the Yankees are and how the Red Sox are chasing them all season. And, yeah, I mean, it's props to the Yankees for having the guys that aren't their star players still be able to maintain one of the best records in the league. But for the Red Sox, as for the Red Sox, they are currently tied for the second wild card, so they've gotten themselves back into not only above 500 but playoff contention. So, and that's good. It's still very early in the season. But, yeah, this series, and the sad thing is, even if the Red Sox the Yankees, they aren't going to pass them in the standings. They set themselves that far back, and the Yankees have just been that consistently good so far. It is a huge series, and I think the Red Sox need to at least split the series. It would be tough to fall back, to fall behind any farther than they already are, and to know that the Yankees could beat you in a series also isn't good for the mentality of the Red Sox, especially when you're trying to catch up to that team. So it is a big series. I think a split is is what need, if not better than that, because falling back farther would make it even more difficult, and it would also just not help them when they're in their case of the Yankees, because they know that the Yankees have beaten them. What do they do when Giancarlo Stanton comes back? And this before we get to the Mets. I mean, Clint Frazier has been everything they could have asked for. Ten home runs already. Not even at the All-Star break. It's got to be a favorite for the All-Star game, you would assume. Cavern may have been essentially the odd man out, but tough, tough decisions. And I think if Gio Urshela did not have the way, did not play the way he's playing right now, the Yankees would have had Andahar play throughout his struggle. With the way that Gio Urshela is playing, I think that kind of forced the Yankees' hand to add Duhar and said, get the surgery, we'll see you in spring training. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good problems to have now if you're the Yankees. What do you do when Aaron Judge comes back? Obviously, Judge and Stanton are going to play. But who do you send down? Mm -hmm. I mean, Kedris Morales has been great. Yeah. What happens when these guys come back? This is a good problem to have. Gregorius comes back next week. What's going to happen? Is Terrell Estrada going to go? Is Kevin Nabin going to go? What happens? I mean, I don't want to see any of these players go. Right. And yeah, you got to you got to just realize that 
they're depth players for a reason. And the fact that they're depth players and that they're producing, I mean, maybe not in the case of Estrada, who is a big-time prospect, but in the case of Cameron Mabin and in the case of some of the other players that the Yankees have filling holes, you know, these are depth players for a reason. And although they're playing well, which is great, you cannot lose sight of the fact of who your main guys are. And it's no question, there is no doubt in my mind that Judge is going to play over Cameron Mabin and that um, and that Gregorius is going to play over uh, Ishila, yeah. you know, in the infield, and Quinn Frazier as well. But it's a good problem to have. And, you know, you're going to look at those young players and they're going to they're gonna be on the roster, and when the 40-man roster, when the Yankees go to the postseason. Yep. You know, you're going to have Estrada yep. down there. Yep. You're going to, you know, you're going to have those big-time guys, and that's going to be huge. And when those depth comes, you know, into play in the postseason, suddenly they're going to have experience in big-time games like they have earlier in the year, and they already came up clutch. So I think it's a great problem to have. And, not, and it doesn't put a ton of pressure on Judge or Stanton either. You, you know, those big-time guys, you can take your time. By the time they come back, they've suddenly played half the season by the time the yeah. postseason has started and they're as well rested as any other superstar player in the playoffs has been, so. we'll go on to the Mets really quickly the New York Mets issued a statement that Mickey Callaway is the manager for the foreseeable future I know you do not like that I don't like uh, him no Keon Broskin has now gone off the Mets. Thank what do you know? Goodness. He hits a home run in his first game at Baltimore. 474 feet. Tied for the second longest home run this year. Does Mickey Callaway make it out of his West Coast trip? Uh... If they don't perform well, I think that he does, but the seat gets very, very hot. Because you cannot lose sight of the fact of how well the Mets have played yes. prior to this yes. West Coast string. Yes. They had two series against the Tigers and the Nationals at home, two series that they had to win. They won them both. I believe they only lost two they games lost between the both to series. The and they lost the rest of the which Dodgers, is fine. which is fine. You yeah. faced Clayton Kershaw. Yes. He looked great against Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. He gave up, I believe, nine hits by the time he was out of the game. It was a battle of the bullpens, and the Mets' bullpen is no match for the Dodgers offense that's not a question no doubt about it that's an area that the Mets need to address but it's the handling of the bullpen that really worries me with Mickey Callaway sure if the talent out there that you're going to put out there is not good enough and is going to get you know tramped by the Los Angeles Dodgers that's absolutely fine but the management of the bullpen has to be better and the fact that Mickey Callaway who is a pitching coach before with the Cleveland Indians before he came to the Mets as the manager one of the best rotations in baseball at the time and the fact that he does not know how to manage his bullpen as a manager is very concerning and could you say the bullpen lost us that game yesterday? Absolutely. They gave up, uh, I believe the bullpen gave up seven runs. Uh, yeah, seven runs after Jacob DeGrom left the game in the fifth inning yesterday. So that's a big area of concern. As far as Mickey Callaway's job, clearly the Wilpons and Brody Van Wagenen have enough uh, confidence in him. I don't think he's going to get fired un unless something drastic happens, like three sweeps in a row or something like that. I think as long as the Mets are in contention or hovering around 500, he'll remain the manager. And then they were swept by the Marlins and shut out two of those three games. I mean, that's, yep. just, that's inexcusable. <laughs> it is, certainly. And, you know, those series are going to happen. And, you know, you just got to look past it. And you gotta, it's not about how that series went. It's about how you rebound from that series. And the Mets rebounded exceptionally well because when they went home, they faced the Nationals, they faced the Tigers, and they're able to win both series. So that's what I like to see out of Mickey Callaway. Sure, I'm not happy with most of the decisions he's made. But when he's needed to come back with some resilience, he certainly has done that. And I cannot discuss the Mets, and I want to get both your takes on this, without discussing Pete Alonso, who has 17 home runs for the Mets. And we are not even in June yet. He's on pace for 55 home runs in his rookie year. Let me get both your thoughts on Pete Alonso. What's his ceiling, and what do you think he's going to do I don't think he gets 55 home runs. Oh, yeah. Well, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he has a very high ceiling. And it just brings my question up, why did they wait so long to bring this kid up? It was Dominic Smith. 
And I think that Dominic Smith was the top first baseman prospect for the Mets at the time where Pete Alonso was putting up 40 home runs in AAA. And you did not want to hurt this guy's confidence, and look what happened. You bring Pete Alonso up, and Dominic Smith and Pete Alonso are the best of friends, and they're happy at each other for each other at every single turn. It's not at all now, a competition. Now Smith wants to play left field. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, I, and I give it to him. Because Conforto's out with an injury. He's been a lot better with his bat this year. Yeah. And that was a big, big question of, of this sleep kid. Sleep apnea. Once he got to the majors, right. was, is he going to consist on an offensive basis? But Corey, what are your thoughts quickly before we end the show on Pete Alonso? Yeah, we talked about Pete Alonso earlier in in the went back in what April, March, around then when we when the season had just started, and we talked. I, I said I think he gets Rookie of the Year if the Mets have a successful season, and as long as the Mets, you know, win some more games and. You know, get into playoff contention. I think he's definitely a contender for NL Rookie of the Year. And yeah, Dominic Smith and him, Pete Alonso's more of the power hitter. Dominic Smith more of the hitter for average. But they've become, you know, two good, two good guys to have on your team to possibly develop around, along with Jeff McNeil. It's a good young core to develop a future around. And yeah, Pete Alonso has been very impressive, and you know, bright future for him and. Yeah, I agree 100%. Good takes from uh, both of you. Not this somewhat mediocre year, even though, you know, it's, a, it's definitely an upside, especially compared to last year. Well, yeah. I agree. Uh, well, Corey, we thank you for coming on the show today, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more of uh, of your thoughts. So until then, I guess I can say go Bruins for you. Uh, we'll talk to you after the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Sorry, Corey, I can't say that for you. But uh, best of luck. I will not say go Bruins, but best of luck to the Bruins. Corey, it was a pleasure thank talking you. to you, and uh, we'll talk to you sometime soon. All right. That was Corey Picard. It's a great job on our show. On behalf of Will Pesley, we're going to say so long. Thanks. And until next time.